This is Coach Jeremy Butt from LaSalle College High School giving a shout out to my little boy, Julian Butt. You're listening to the More Than a Club podcast. On today's episode, we welcome Paul Kubak, who grew up in Philadelphia, graduated from North Catholic in 1974 and Temple University in 1980. He has worked in the court system at Philadelphia as a juvenile probation officer for 33 years. Along with that, he coached high school football at LaSalle College High School from 1984 to 2006 and has been officiating lacrosse since 1993. He's also a high school signer and an assigner for NXT and three-step at summer events. He is married to his wife, Barbara, for 29 years, and they have three beautiful daughters, Kelly, Christina, and Jamie. All three were three-sport athletes at Penn Charter here in Philadelphia. His oldest, Kelly, played lacrosse at Michigan. Christina was a smart one and gave up sports after high school. And his youngest daughter, Jamie, is currently at Ryder University playing lacrosse. We welcome Paul to today's show and hope all of you enjoy listening. Welcome to the More Than a Club podcast with Marty Cuprian and Bill Leahy. Welcome to the More Than a Club podcast, season four, episode nine. I'm your co-host, Bill Leahy, and glad that Coach Coop, Coach Kate, and I are finally back in the studio to begin wrapping up season four. In case you were wondering where our bi-leakly episodes went, let me explain. Back in mid-November, I had reconstructive ankle surgery. While I knew it was going to be a long three-month recovery, I did not know it was going to be this hard. So while we had some pre-recorded shows in the hopper to hold us through until I got better, it took a little bit longer than we expected. So thanks for your patience. We're now back and looking forward to not only today's show, but to timely episodes yet to come. Thanks a lot, Bill. Great to be back with you here. We're actually at the new next office, which is just across the parking lot from our old office in Kanchi, but a little bit more space and connected to our three-step sports parent company. I wanted to welcome tonight's guest, Paul Kubak. Paul Kubak is a referee uh, and one of our great friends of Next as we've grown in the Philadelphia area as a referee assigner. I know him best helping us out getting referees to tournaments, um, but we're going to learn a lot more about him tonight. Welcome, Paul. Welcome, Bill. Welcome, Coop. Uh, thanks for having me on tonight. I appreciate it. You bet. I've been looking forward to this for a long time, to have a referee on and to look behind the curtain of what's really going down behind the pinstripes. So this is going to be fun for me, and we've known each other for a long time, so I'm really thrilled that you're here. So I'll try to keep you out of it. <laughs> really bad blood, right? There weren't too many flags on the LaSalle sidelines. So. I love it. Uh, with that, we'll move on right into our youth sports hot topics. So for parents, ref, I'd like to take a look at their sideline behavior. So surely referees uh, look at coaches on the sideline and we get out of hand sometime. Players mumble under their breath and have palms up. What's your first thought when we say, hey, we'd like to have a theme here to talk about parents' behavior on the sideline. Do referees even care? Absolutely, absolutely. Because I think the parents affect the game in, in, in a negative way sometimes. Um, and it's not all parents. It's just, you know, like anything else, there's just a group of parents that can really be nasty at games. And, you know, it's one thing to disagree with an official's call in the field, but it's another thing to get personal with that official and, you know, yell obscenities to, to him. And there's no, you know, there's n nothing 
in the game for that. You know what I mean? It, it's not good for the game at all. So an honest question, like behind the scenes, could that work against their kids' teams? Like, does a ref get ticked off enough to be like, you know what, enough of that out of you. I know you're yelling for the blue team. Here comes the flag, Dad. <laughs> no, but I'm, I'm sure it seems like that sometimes because that's usually what happens. You know, when parents are yelling, all of a sudden the flag is against their team and, you know, they, they take it personal. But I think, uh, you know, as an official for myself and many of the fellow officials I've worked with, I think we kind of know what to expect from parents, try to mainly ignore them and try not to feed into them so that we, in turn, react to their negativity. So I would say, no, we don't, you know, let that affect the game. You know what I mean? I think that we're probably above that, or we try to be. So as I'm telling my coaches to lay off the referees and saying, coaches, just coach, you know, players, just play, parents, just parent, um, you know, and, and it's great if they understand their expectation and their job, help us better understand your job as a referee. Um, our job really is, you know, like you s said, we're there to enforce the rules, to apply the rules when we need to, uh, to make the game run smoothly, to make sure that, you know, we take total control of the game as far as safety goes, to make sure the kids' safety, you know, that there's safety in the game and kids aren't getting injured. Uh, so that's our number one goal, I think, when you walk on the field is that, you make sure the safety of the, the kids that are playing the game. That's number one. And that the rules are applied fairly and equally, regardless of the teams, regardless of the parents, regardless of the ear you're getting from the coaches, that you're just following the rule book and the game's playing out as the great creator would want us to play it, and as the rule book says. Yes, I, I would definitely agree with you there that um, if you're going to be a good official, you need to tone some of that out. You know what I mean? You can't let, like, like a coach and a parent or assistant coaches can't take things personal. Just officials can't take things personally either when they're being yelled at. Uh, I my, my way of doing it is I never engage a parent on the sideline. Um, I don't think, I think if you engage a parent, you lose because they're gonna be, they've got your attention and now they're gonna be yelling you the whole game. If I tell our officials, that if they, especially at tournaments, that if we have an issue with a parent, do not engage with a parent because when you do, there's 20 camera phones out now with the way today is filming what you're doing, but nothing's ever filmed of a parent abusing an official. So my thing is, is if you have that type of issue, stop the game, go to the coaches or the, 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 the person there that's in charge of the table, let the tournament director know, let the schools know whoever has uh, you know, who the administrator of school is to take care of that problem. You as an official, don't get involved with that. I think that's probably the easiest thing to do. Make, makes sense to me. It's, it's really your part of your job is communicating a lot to enforce the rules, as you discussed, but you're communicating to those coaches, those players on the field. So I liked your role of, you know, not going outside of that and starting something bigger. But if, if it needs to be addressed, doing it as a unit. So do you have advice for parents who are listening as we close up this section? Absolutely. Um, I, my advice is that, number one, that you read the rule book, that you buy your rule book, read it, understand the game itself before you come to a game and start yelling. 
Uh, and that's hard, right? Because I know just on the club side, we go to four tournaments. They might have four different sets of rules. And that just means that the parents have to go to that website and read the rules. But it's even hard as a coach some weekends in the summer to keep up with different rules. Um, so I think for a high school season, that might be different than a club season. But I'm always telling my parents, please read the rules, you know, and the players too. So our, our next section is for players who are listening. And the idea, of, we usually have a culture building section. But in this, with you as a guest, I thought we'd have like a classy player section. And so when we look at players who are out there on the field and the game's unfolding and they're emotional, their coaches are into it, their parents are into it from the sideline, you're being differentiated and calling a good game. And then you have these guys, these players who put their palms up, they mumble under their breath, bang their stick on the ground after a bad call. Does that get them anywhere? No, not at all. Um, and I think, you know, I don't want to go back to what we were just talking about, but I think parents and coaches, the way they react to officials only feeds into the kids that are playing the game. They see their coach, they see their parents yelling at the officials on the field, and it just, you know, it gives them a reason to, you know, do what they do as far as yelling or the palms up or give you that look like, hey, my, my coach can do it, why can't I? So I, my suggestion there is that coaches coach, players play, and officials officiate. Um, and adults act like adults, adults you know, correct. which is something pretty easy. Doesn't some, it? Sometimes you have to remind another coach like, hey, look, we're kind of acting out of line here. And I think of like keep a blue head. Coach Leahy something you've taught me over the years. Hey, am I, am I you know, kind of out of control or am I the adult here with a calm head? And it's not you sound like you're able to, you know, keep that uh, the blue head. And I found some strategies. Doesn't get anybody any calls when they put their palms up. It doesn't wear you down. We're not breaking through on the ref or breaking them down for a call later in the fourth quarter, right? You're just doing your job. Correct. And they're wasting their energy putting their palms up or mumbling under the breath when they could be focused on the next play. Right. And it's not going to change the call. That That's the biggest thing. Like, whatever the call is, you got to move on and, and play the next play. Like, you got to officiate the next play. Players have to play the next play. So, doing the palms up and, you know, Giving, giving mouth back to officials is not, not going to help you at all. I always thought a part of your job, unfortunately, like the response to referees, was a misguided frustration either from coaches, players, or parents. What I mean by that is things don't go well on the field. It's happened. That's part of the game. Correct. And so when they don't go well, that's when the player puts his palms up or a parent yells at you or a coach does as well. It's easier to blame you at the stripes than it is to look at ourselves and be like, that was a bad coaching call, or a young person to be like, you know, I slashed him, I hit him. And so I think you get this energy that, that's misdirected at you when it's really supposed to be directed to whoever made the bad play or the bad coaching call. Would you agree with that? Or no, am I too Freudian at this point? No, I think that, you know, some of the frustration with players is that, you know, they could come and they're having a bad day. You know what I mean? They're just not playing well. So, you know, what do they do? They, you know, they give you the palms up. They give you a look every time that you have a, you know, a foul called against them or whatever. And, it, you know, it manifests into, you know, that behavior and it doesn't help. So when do you, when does a player cross the line? When have, do they need to be addressed? What would be the steps from a referee in addressing that? And then what leads to expulsion from a game? Oh, I think language is probably the number one thing. Uh, it's one thing, you know, to talk to an official or, you know, the palms up. But I think if you drop the F-bomb or, you, you know, some type of language like that, that, that to me is unsportsmanlike right away. 
Get a and warning it, first, or do no, you just no, go? that would, with a with that type of language, that is not a warning. That's non sportsmanlike conduct. And remember, two unsportsmanlike conduct will get you ejected from the game. So you know, if a kid says something to you that may not be that derogatory in a, in a fashion that there's no language used. You could give him a conduct foul, take the ball away, or give him a 30-second penalty. I mean, we we try to do the least. But if he screams the F word in frustration loud enough, everyone in the stadium can hear it? Well, yeah, I mean, to me, like, I, I try to ignore that. If he's not really, per se, dropping the F-bomb to me, maybe he dropped the F-bomb out of frustration, and I'll go over here, yo, you know, you got to calm down. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? We got parents here. We have, you know. Yeah that we, we can't have that language. Uh, but if it's loud enough, there, you have no choice. And, sure. But that's not on sportsmanlike. I mean, if it's out of frustration, I think I would give him a conduct foul. And in you know some I mean? leagues, you might sit the next game, depending on your league rules. Correct, correct, absolutely. And that's why I'm not real quick to give an unsportsmanlike conduct. You, for, to get one, I tell guys, make sure it's worthy because, remember, this kid, if he gets another one, is going to have to sit the next game. So, you know what I mean? And, and you, it's always good to communicate with the coach. Coach, look, number 12 is out of control. If you can't tend to him, then you're going to give me no alternative but to, you know, do what I need to do in the game. Just wrapping up that section as far as players showing class to referees, a um, couple examples would be after games just thanking the referees, recognizing them for their efforts and that they're human beings and, you know, thanking them for keeping a safe game and enforcing the rules. And then a second, if you have a question about a penalty that happened in a game or something that's happening on the face-offs, go speak to those referees, you know, with respect um, at the appropriate time, whether it's, you know, between quarters or after a game. Um, one of our Haverford face-off guys yesterday did that, you know, in the appropriate way, asked a question about face-off, you know, when the whistle was happening or leaning or something like that, some technicality. Um, and I was proud of him for doing it the right way without, you know, too much emotion. Th that's great because I wish more coaches would encourage that, and we encourage it. We'll let we'll we'll answer any question you have for us on the field as long as you're respectful. You know what I mean? Like you have a question about, yeah, hey, what did I do wrong in the face-off? Hey, I hit that kid. Uh, you know, what did I do wrong? Well, your hands were far apart. It was a cross check. If your hands were together, it was probably a legal hit. So if you ask the referee in that manner, like you know. And the same tone, goes for coaches, too. Co oh, absolutely. Like we, coaches, you want us to work with you positively the same way that we want you, you know, so. So, like, when I deal with assistant coaches, I don't really deal with them. Once, like, I, I will have open communication with any coach on the sideline. But if an assistant coach draw, goes over that line, I go right to the head coach and say, look, that's enough from your assistants. I will talk to you all day. Yeah. <laughs> I never quite had that experience, right, <laughs> right. guys? <laughs> And take it from there. And yeah. usually, for the most part, the coach is, hey, look, okay, he's going to take care of his assistants. And that's really a big help sure. to the officials on the field. So it's always good to have, you know, that communication with the coach. Breaking down X and O's is one of my favorite parts of the show. But for you, it's breaking down the rule book. So I've really been looking forward to this section. Could you walk us through what you think are the three biggest challenges to fairly calling a game. Yep, I think the number one challenge is probably to be consistent in officiating a game. You know what I mean? What's a foul in the first period or what's foul on that team is the same foul that you're going to call throughout the game. I think that's the biggest thing, and I think that's what coaches look for more than anything. Like if you're can whether 
you're letting the kids play and it might, you know, there might be some things you let go. As long as you're consistent and do that throughout the game, I, that, I think coaches appreciate that. Whereas if, you know, you, you know, it's a foul down here and all of a sudden the same play down the other end of the field is not a foul, I think that's where the officials get in trouble by not being consistent in what they're calling. It's never the, the same play, though, right? It's a similar play. It's a similar play, yes. But, you know, it's close, like a push, like, you know, it's on the side. Well, if you don't call that the first time, you know, you, and, and as you work it, and that's the second the most important part is working together as a team, the officials on the field. So when that's I work point. with two guys I know, I'm, you know, we're going to have a good pregame and we're going to talk about how we're going to call the game. And then at that You're point. You're going to support each other. Right. right. So that, like, if you pass on something like that that's a 50-50 play, well, you better your partner better do the same thing. Right. You know what I mean? Vice versa. That's why you have a good uh, pregame is that if you call a tacky slash, guess what? We're going to be stuck with that for the rest of the day because I want to be consistent with what we're doing today. Not, you know, I don't want to have a weak slash here and then, you know, let the weak slash go down the other end. You have to be consistent, and that's the really tough thing working with – two other guys. Well, you're right. I didn't think of it as a team, but you are. Could you help our listeners understand the role? Let's say it's a college game. There's three refs out there. Correct. What's each person's title and role? And then the pregame. You said good pregame, and I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking, man, I always wondered what those guys were talking about. It's, it's a, a you know, serious so conversation. Football, somebody might be an umpire, and then there's a referee. Right. So we have referee, field judge, and umpire, the same Thank thing. Thank you. Uh, you know, the referees, uh, you know, obviously the guy that's in charge, um, you know, probably with the most experience, he'll be the referee for the game, and you know, he'll be, you know, he'll take the lead on handling the coaches, uh, game, you know, the game managing of the game. Uh, the other two guys will be, you know, his partners. You know, like I said, it's a team. Like it, just like you know, the team's playing. We're a team. We're out there. We can't survive the game without depending on one another. And I think that's the other thing that's really key is that. You have good partners and that you have a good pregame. And a pregame meaning that you go in, you know, you know, you know both teams, you know, you talk about things that teams do, whether, you know, number 12 has got a, you know, he's got a heavy stick. You talk things like that. You talk about situations, uh, you know, like especially with young guys. I always tell guys, listen, you have, you have to be attentive, like, at certain points of the game when you know a coach is going to be asking for a timeout. Think about the situation. It's the end of the quarter, you know, when a team's in trouble. Having the back of your mind that you're going to be looking for that timeout so that when the coach calls it, you can give it to him. Because a lot of times you know that when you call for a timeout, by the time the official recognizes it, you lose the ball. You know what I mean? And that's, that's a big issue. So I always tell guys, know the game, situation we're in, and listen for that timeout. How about a tough call? I've always been wondering, I guess, when I was coaching, when there's a tough call, or maybe you disagree with your partner, or you saw it differently, the three of you huddle up. What's going on at that moment? Okay. At that time, when we huddle up, it's usually when there's two flags down. So before you, you know, let the, go to the box, let them know what the foul is, you want to talk about it and make sure that the team is on the same page, so that everybody has the same thing that you had. Like, in an instance, guy might want to call the push, and you made it seem differently, and you might have had a better angle, 
and you thought it was a cross check because it was more in the push or that if it was a push it was a, like a real aggressive push maybe with his hands and everything but behind and you might say to your partner you know I think it's a little bit more in the push that kid really went down hard I think maybe we should give him unnecessary roughness and there are the things you talk about and then whatever you decide after that conversation you stick together you have to stick together with the call you make later and, you could Oh yeah, we can. Hey, that's that's always after the game for a beer later. You know what I mean? And you talk about those situations. So, do refs watch film? Like, how do you get better? Uh, I would say today's game, everybody in college watches film. Watches film. You, know, you have to, if you want to improve and you want to do a good job, you have to watch film because, as an official, we make mistakes. You know what I mean? You 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 know. And you're not going to learn from your mistakes unless you see them on film. Just like when you coach, uh, you know, when you coach, if you don't watch film, your team's not going to get better. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, and give them the information what they did wrong. Just as an official, you need, you need to watch film and, and understand, what you, you, know, the, you know, a call that you made in the game and how it affected it and whether it was the right call or the wrong call. You know, I – there's many, not many a time, but there's been times, I, especially after a college game, I'm like really frustrated because I, I know that I screwed something up. You know what I mean? I knew it. And then you go and you watch the film and like you feel bad. But I mean, like the only thing you can do is say, hey, next time I get on the field, that's not going to happen again. Yeah, just like the players, you're doing the best you can. And um, I think it's great for our parents and listeners to hear how seriously referees take that and how much pride you take in that and then also that you're watching film and kind of developing professionally um, to stay with the game Uh, any last tips for coaches I know that in managing the club coaches uh, like I do and coach Leahy does some of our younger coaches will be walking on the field we call that the Brett Manny rule they think they get 15 yards on the field in the club game um, but they don't Um, but any tips uh, really for younger coaches really getting involved in like the summer, maybe youth coaching, um, more so than kind of higher level high school, college. I would say one thing for the coaches is that, look, it's a game, coach your kids. There's going to give referees or, you know, they, they make mistakes too. And if you do have a question, ask the question, don't yell. I mean, you'll get the official's attention more by, hey, can you tell me, what that foul was, yeah. or, you, or can you explain to me what that was? Instead of yelling and screaming, and now the guy's like belittling, like, and, no, yeah. like I, I don't need that. Like, and I always tell guys that officiate that when you're being yelled at, and you're going, you're talking back to the coach, you're low, like really low. You're talking like low. Yeah. Don't bring yourself up to his level because once you do that, you've lost. It's it defeats everything you're trying to do. Right. So I just say. Try to bring the tone down, get the coach down so that, you know, you're on the same level talking to one another. Uh, I, I just, you know, I, th- I think that's just a great way of doing it instead of screaming back at the coach. That does nothing. For, yeah. You know what I mean? That does nothing for the situation. It just probably aggravates it and makes it, makes it worse. For parents, for players, for coaches, all good advice from behind the curtain. Absolutely, yeah. I hope our, our listening audience can be more mindful of all those topics. That was great. Okay, we're going to move on to today's getting to know you section. Some leading questions and topic for our guest. Paul, let's start uh, just with your childhood upbringing. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Philadelphia in a little section called Harrogate. 
Awesome. Uh, tell us about just growing up. Were you an Eagles fan, sports fan, and, and what were like the first loves or memories there? Uh, I was a big Eagles fan, big baseball fan, a Phillies fan. Yeah. And basketball fan. So wow. all three sports. When I was growing up, there was no lacrosse. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe only the private schools such as Penn Charter and Harvard School and Malvern had, had lacrosse when sure. I was growing up. Wow. So what, what were you uh, most into playing? Uh, football and baseball. Okay. So, you know, I played in high school, um, tried to play in college and got hurt. Yeah. I cut my college career short, but. Well, and where was high school? High school was North Catholic. North Catholic. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's a shout out. Big time. So what was your first introduction to lacrosse? Uh, my first introduction, uh, I was working with Tom Ruth, who you well know, mm -hmm. who was an official, and he came to me one day, we were in the office, and he said, hey, you interested in refereeing lacrosse? And I said, refereeing lacrosse? What, I mean, like, what is that? Like, you know yeah. what I mean? So he goes, oh, man, they're really hurting for officials. There's no officials. They, you know, they can't cover games. He said, why don't you try it? I'm like, well, you know what? Football season's over, probably the first week in December. So I have a couple months off, and I, would, I figured, you know, I'll try it. So I think it was like 1993, and I remember doing my first game. And I went out. I had no idea what I was doing because back then there was no training, no nothing, no PIAA, no taking any test. You just showed up, and you were assigned a game. And I remember I, it was an interact school JV game, and I go out, and I have the ball in my hand, and I dropped it like an ice hockey puck. <laughs> and I'm like, love it. Let's no. get going. How's and this and that's, that's how I started. And, and what was great about back then is that I think the coaches knew that there wasn't officials, enough officials. And they knew, what, you know, when you showed up that you were green. And they were good, man. They would, like, I remember coaches helping me, like, helping me where to restart. I had no idea even where to restart the ball. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just things of that, like that, helping the restarts and talking to you and not yelling at you and trying to, you know, coach you along. In order to grow the game and, Correct. you know, have you lead to get more referees in right. a positive environment for them? But I'm impressed because I knew you as a football coach. I mean, you have a background coaching football for how long? At LaSalle? Uh, it was from LaSalle from 1984 to 2006. Wow. So halfway through your career, you decide you're also going to when it's not football season, start to learn this new game. Correct. So, and it was pretty intimidating because, like I said, you know, I went to a couple meetings and all of a sudden I get assigned a game. I'm like, okay, like, <laughs> and then back then it was like, sometimes you showed up and you were the only guy there doing a JV game. And there just wasn't enough officials. So. I hope the young people listening are hearing how here's an older guy coaching football, loving it, and still willing to learn, grow, and try something totally new. It was probably one of the better things I've done, you know, because I I've really I've had really enjoyed it, and had a great career so far. You've had a great career. I mean, you're coaching at the highest levels. I mean, refing at the highest levels, and all because you went and thought a ball needed to be dropped like a hockey start. <laughs> so hopefully, uh, yeah, there was some feedback after that. Um, and one of Coach Leahy's notes and getting ready for the show, you know, how how does a ref really receive feedback on their performance, and how do they grow and you know, continue to develop as a referee? I think that uh, as a referee, if you want to get better, 
you're going to find a way to do it. And you're going to take feedback and you're going to listen. There was, I had some great mentors, Buzzy Lynn, Dave Seidman, George Waddles. Uh, those guys were great. You know what I mean? They helped me along to get where I'm at today. So, um, you know, it was a great experience, especially, you know, coming from those guys that you personally know. Uh, other guys that, that helped me greatly were uh, Philly D. We called them Philly D. D, D Domenico and John Gorman. They were both North Jersey guys, and they knew how to manage a game. You know what I mean? And they're the things you, you know, that's, everybody has their own individual thing. They, they manage the game. And that's where I learned how to manage a game. So it sounds like just on the fly experience plus strong mentoring is the basis of the training. But Correct. then when do you grab the rule book and say, like, I really got to read this dry thing and then apply it? Like, it goes both ways. Well, I, I tried that and then didn't understand the thing I was reading. <laughs> uh -huh. You know what I mean? So I'd be honest with you. I was one of those guys that I think I learned better on the field. Like when I made a mistake, I didn't make that mistake again. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I, you know, I, that's how I really learned. I think more than anything, more than the rule book, you can read the book all you want. You know what I mean? But until you apply it and see it in action, it, it's real. Yeah, it's hard. So because there's some rules that are just like really rare. I mean, they may never happen in your right. whole career. And there's others they, that happen obviously all the time. You have a big smile. Yeah, well, I'm just thinking about plays. Like, when I started out, like, in the crease, oh, my God, that was a nightmare. Like, you know what I mean? I had no idea, like, you know. Yeah. Was I right or wrong or, you know what I mean? Like, you're always questioning yourself, but uh, you, you get through it and you learn. You know what I mean? And you, you find out whether you were right. And if you were wrong, you made sure it didn't happen again. Can you think of a rare call that puzzled you in your journey or recently? <sighs> I think the probably the toughest play all in lacrosse now is the dive, especially at the collegiate level. It's, it's the, that's to me just so puzzling. There's so much action around the crease and the game is so fast that it's almost impossible to get every, every call right there. Um, I, I, the one thing I wish that we would do at the collegiate level would have instant replay like every other sport I think does, even at the D3 basketball level, they can go to a monitor and get it right. I just think that would be so helpful in the collegiate uh, game that uh, having, you know, be able to go and look at a monitor and say, hey, look, we just screwed it up, but let's get it right. Because that's basically what you want to do as an official. You want to make sure you get it right. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's so fast and physical. A lot of those decisions are, are hard, hard to make right yeah, without so. review. So I just got to like, Ask this question. Here's a Northeast Philly guy who goes to North Catholic. He plays football, baseball through college, is a successful coach in football, tries something new. And as you sit here, like I can tell you love lacrosse. Correct. So um, I always thought that if they had lacrosse when I was growing up, that I probably wouldn't play baseball because it, you know, the physicality of the sport. And yeah, I was a football guy and, you know, that would really attract me to the game. In some so. ways, I mean, you were starting at the same time I was starting LaSalle's program. We just didn't know it. And we had some good kids back then, too. I remember, I think, one of your, Dave Gathman. Uh, that went was on. That name in the past. Virginia. Yeah, right? He was a center at Virginia. His son ended up coming to LaSalle just for a couple of years. Okay. A couple, uh, yeah, a while back. And it was great to see him and be like, wow, you were one of the first lacrosse players in the history of the LaSalle lacrosse program. 30 years later, you were one of the kind of founders or pioneers 
And if you ever really want to learn how to throw a fly, all you had to do was a Glenn Mills game. <laughs> Been there, done that. If I'm a rookie and I just want to get started, like where do I start? Okay. Do I, well, it's do a I lot different. You? It's a lot different today than it was when I started. We actually have classes. We have mm -hmm. a class that we use LaSalle all the time. And we used to have it just in the springtime for new officials, PIAA officials that would come in our training. And we would go over all those basic things, where to, where to stand, how to put the ball down, yep. uh, you know, who blows the whistle in, where's your position? A couple of my coworkers, Coach Law and, oh, and absolutely. Pat, Pat O'Donohue, who runs our events, both became referees last spring or maybe the spring before, spring before trained yeah. with you at LaSalle and have been calling games, uh, middle school and high school, I believe, and yes. maybe even, you know, rec, which is pretty cool. And I think that also, that experience for them, I think opened their eyes about the officiating part of it and Definitely. not so much like, you know, hey, now I know what it feels like to do I remember game. Coach Law saying, I've experienced every side of lacrosse except for being the referee, and that's what I'm going to go do. We have coaches that come to our class too, just, just to do that, not to be an official, but just to – Get a better understanding of what we do. So, and I think it's very beneficial for coaches, to be honest with you. As a matter of fact, I encourage parents to do it. Great idea. So, how does a ref move up the ranks? Here you are doing JV games, now you're doing college games. So, right now, what we do is we have a, a like I said, a, a cadet class, and we get those guys that come. Obviously, some of them. Their availability is not real good in the afternoon, so they'll start out just doing uh, youth games on the weekend, all right? And then um, if you have availability, you take the PIAA exam now, you get JV games. And if you want to work, you can work just about every day in lacrosse right now if you want to be an official. Um, we encourage all of our guys that be, to come to our cadet class to join PIAA, but it seems like in the last couple of years, there's a lot, of not, a lot of guys aren't joining it just because of jobs, um, you know, and the availability part of it. So it's harder to get those guys into high school. But for the guys that want to go to high school, we have quite a few kids from LaSalle that played for you that have done outstanding. Uh, Luke Rankin and, and Andrew Diodonna. I was going to say, Andrew's everywhere. Yeah. 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 I mean, they, 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 they've Class they, act. They've done, and, and I feel like we try to identify the guys in our class that we feel they could, you know, will work out for us. So, in other words, we always look to see if there is a lacrosse player in the cadet class. Hey, this guy knows the game. It's easier to train him. And we've got a few guys, like we got like four guys that graduated from Widener and played from all different areas, not just one area, like guy from Delaware, yeah. guy from New York, you know, that wind up living here. They're, they, they're doing a great job for us. And they moved up very quickly. I mean, they started out in JV, and by the end of their first year, you know, uh, me and Danny Ferry would take them with us and let them do a varsity game and just bring them along, you know what I mean? It wasn't the toughest game to do, but – just to get him accustomed to three-man mechanics, you know, where he needs to stand, where he needs to be positioned. So that's worked really well for us. In other words, bring guys up, and you just don't bring them up, but now put them with guys that you, that you want them to learn from. That's the key. I mean, it's you can give a guy 100 games, but if he's working with two guys that aren't very good, he's not going to get better. 
So we, we recognize that and we've now, we'll take guys and put them with a group of us, you know, like Gary Mitchell, myself, Danny, uh, Jimmy Barracol, Danny Miles, you know, we, we've taken those guys and put, with, put them with them to make sure that they're, you know, they need to be where they need to be. Yeah, once on the sideline, you told me a good ref isn't just about calling a good game with the rules. It's also, do they get there early? How they dress? How they speak to the referees? Right, you're laughing because we were talking about a oh, guy absolutely. who could be That's really good. And one of those guys we were talking about, right. so I'm not going to mention any names, but exactly like I said, you know, it's not just how you call the game, it's how you show up. You know what I mean? If you come and you look like the part, you get more respect from the coaches. But if you come and your flag's hanging out, your hat's sideways and your shirt's, shirt's untucked, yeah. <laughs> and what's that coach going to think? So, and, you know. Yeah, one, one other question that really – has always kind of confused me is like the different rules in men's and women's and then even within the men's, the different levels. Um, it just seems, you know, the opposite of fan friendly. So, um, you know, any thoughts on just understanding the game? I know your daughter played women's lacrosse and you're a fan of both. Um, any thoughts there or just helping a, maybe a first time young lacrosse parent understand how that's an issue? Well, it's, that's a great question because my daughter's played uh, at the highest level, and to this day, I still don't know what the girls' rules are. <laughs> I don't understand them. So my advice to parents is that when you don't understand something, quiet. You know what I mean? I would never yell because what am I yelling at? Like, I don't even know what the rules are. You know what I mean? So it's, it's like, that different. And it's that different, yeah. Yeah, it's, confusing. The girls and the men's game is that different. Uh, as far as the Would your daughter game, be upset to hear that you don't know the rules? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay, okay. I don't know the rules. I've been watching forever. I'm still working she just on it. Coach Henwood's going to be upset she, with, with both of you. She just knows that I enjoyed watching her play. Absolutely. Both of them. So. Yeah. But um, any thought to like, you know, is that stopping lacrosse from being a more widely accepted sport that we have all these different variations? and? Um, I think we're getting closer. PIAA Federation is getting closer to college rules. Sure. They're, they're thinking about shot clocks. Yeah. Uh, you know, at, at the high school level. Talk, uh, talk about that just for um, lacrosse fans. You know, uh, I've been coaching at the Haverford School. In the Interact, there's a shot clock. Absolutely. Right? But outside of the Interact in Pennsylvania, is there a shot clock? No. Okay. I mean, outside, yes. I guess down in Maryland, yeah. the MIA schools all have shot clocks. They play NCAA rules. Yeah. So what's the biggest difference in those games, you know, that have shot clocks versus that don't? What are you okay. seeing? Uh, I think well, number one, I think the biggest difference is the the level of the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, the speed uh, of the game, uh, the size of some of the kids. Um, it's a big difference from regular high school. Yeah, um, it's just a different game because it's much faster. You know what I mean? You with that shot clock, it makes you do. Yeah. you know, speed the game up. So, does your mindset change whether you're refing with or without a shot clock? Oh, absolutely. Um, if I go from a college game to a regular high school game, sure. I always tell the two high school guys I'm with, or if it's one of them, if I'm working with Dan Ferry, we're both college guys, hey, we screw a high school up, time out, get, let's get it right. Don't, you know, you're not going to embarrass me, you know what I mean? Right. Because my mind right now is I'm doing college lacrosse and my mind's there. Yeah. So, you know, the rules are different, you know what I mean? Especially like the get it in, keep it in. Sure. Timeouts anywhere on the field. 
Uh, the goalie gets five seconds, you know what I mean, to get back in the crease after a shot. You know, they're not real big things, but important things. So, Raph, you've called some big college games. Could you walk us through some that cracking really up when you're calling them Raph here, Coach. But I'm calling you Coach, so yeah. here we go. Uh, Same difference. <laughs> I would think that, you know, I started my career, went from Division three. Finally, got a little taste of Division One. was getting a couple games here, a couple games there, and I wanted to, you know, I wanted to get full dive into Division One. and I think it was 2007 or eight. I wind up getting on a game, at, like, in the middle of the week because someone got hurt, and I went to Bucknell, Bucknell, Ohio State. And I, I know that I worked with George Waddles, and I believe the other guy I worked with was Mike Kenfey, two guys I really felt comfortable with and knew, which made it really – that much easier, but it wind up being a great game, triple overtime, snow squalls in February, and it was just fun. I was like, wow. And I, you know, obviously I think I did a pretty good job that day, and it's it sh my schedule showed it, you know, the rest of my schedule. So, how about a kind game of, where you didn't do a good job and you look back and say that was <sighs> uh, I can remember not, it wasn't too long ago, and it was a, a Division three game, and I never like blame anyone or you know one person on the crew because remember as I said, when you do a game you're a crew. So if I do a bad job, or my partner does a bad job, we've done a bad job. You know what I mean? It's just not individually. And it was with die playing, and it, and it got screwed up, and um, I didn't feel good about it. You know what I mean? The coach was all over me and probably deserved a conduct foul, but I thought twice about doing that because I kind of felt that we screwed it up. So you have a little bit more patience and tolerance for the coach. And sure enough, I, you know, I got to my car, I called the assigner up and said, look, my crew did not do a good job today. We just didn't. I got to watch a film, but I think we really screwed one play up. And as a group of guys, you know, as, as a team, we didn't do a good job. And it, it bothers you when, you know, when you screw up. You know what I mean? Just like as a player or a coach, you know, you know that, you know, you've lost a game for your teammate, your team, or you made a bad coaching decision, you know, that's, it's hard to swallow. You, you want to learn from that. In our semi-rehearsing, you kind of mentioned that an upset coach gets your antenna going, that maybe the call isn't going the right way. Can Absolutely. Absolutely. Yourself, like I said, uh, when Coach Leahy yells at you, put your antennas up because he doesn't yell often and you may have missed something. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know what I mean? So be, you know, just be aware of who, who the coaches are, you know what I mean? Uh, Pat Grice is like a great example. One of the classiest. Is it the Swarthmore coach? Yep, classiest guys you'd ever want to meet on the field. And, uh, you know, I've been involved with his games and I remember one of our officials made a mistake and like Pat was top of his lungs and I, you know, first thing I said to the guy I was working with, that doesn't yell much. Yeah. So we may have missed something here. So let's just be, you know, attentive. Rare as it might be, have you felt your staff ever cost a team a game? Like it was uh, that ultimate? No, thing? never like that. Never. Just that, you know, when you, when you make a, when you miss a call or you make a bad call, whether, whether it's, you know, determining the game or not, you, you know, I, I, Myself, I take it personal. Like I, I, yeah, I, I screwed up, and I want to, I want to get better at what I'm doing. So, one last question, just from uh, the Instagram 
questions uh, for referees was on iBlack. It was a youth player, I think maybe like a sixth or seventh grader <laughs> going, what's the deal with rules on iBlack? And, you know, any thoughts there? Um, just, really just to bring you back down from the serious college game to the world that I live in with these, these little guys. That's not in our show notes, guys. So here's the thing. Um, PI has made that their thing that they don't want. I have no idea why, but they don't want guys to have – they want one stripe across the sure. thing, and that's it. My issue is now that we have youth lacrosse going right now with Sepla, is that there's coaches have not going to follow that rule. They're right. going to let Sepla do what they want. And my thing is, if you let them do it at that age, then it's going to be so much more difficult when they get to high school to have them stop painting their face up. Yeah, so I think I that's mean, good I, to hear because they look I, like right. I, I, to me, I'm an official. I want to officiate the game. I don't want to officiate that part of the game. It's, it's, you know, it's just not. We won't spend any more time on it then, Coach. Take us home, Paul. You are the treasurer and an assigner in the Greater Philadelphia Lacrosse Association's Officials Association. Correct. What is the organization? What do you do? And what is an assigner? Okay, uh, one, one of the biggest things we're doing right now is recruiting guys to be officials. That's our, you know, our main objective right now is we had 30 guys in our cadet class last year, which was great. We had 20 the year before that, and we, keep, we hope to keep on increasing the number of uh, guys that take our cadet class with the hope of even if I'd say 10% of those guys go on the high school level and then hopefully the college level. That's what we're looking to, to do. If we can get enough guys and get 10% of those each year, we're going to get ahead of the game eventually, you know, with this shortage of officials. It's going to make the assigner's life easier. So oh, what's yeah. an assigner? Because you are one. Right. The assigner job right now, it, it's thankless. It's, it's every day trying to fill games. At this time of year, you got older guys who are getting hurt. You're getting guys that are getting uh, playoff games in the collegiate level, and you're losing them right and left. And there's just not enough officials to go around. But you find a way to survive. You know what I mean? You, you have to make moves. You have to take one guy out of one game, put him in another game, and it's like a chess match. You know what I mean? You want to make sure you put the right guys in the right game. You know what I mean? So, um, so if there's a person listening who's interested in being a ref, which is my hope, I would, what, I would hope. What shout-out are you giving? Right. Convince them over the airwaves here that they okay. should call you up and come to a cadet training. Okay. Youth officials make 75 bucks a game. That's the number one thing. It's a great part-time job. And if you're an ex-player, it's a great way to stay in the game. You know what I mean? Uh, I think that's the biggest thing. You know, if you're a player, an ex-player, if you want to stay involved in the game and you don't want to coach, officiating is the way to go. Great exercise too. Yep. I see you guys getting up and down and staying healthy. That was that was a great pitch. Any fair warnings to them? Um, don't have rabbit ears. A little tough skin and don't <laughs> yes, have rabbit ears. Yes, exactly. Well, Paul, you always call it a fair game for LaSalle. And for that, I'm grateful. I hope myself, our assistant coaches, and the young men who played for me were gentlemen. If not, we'll settle it out in the parking lot afterwards. But you were really one of the best at what you do. So. I appreciate that. And, of course, you've been one of the better coaches in the area, and, you know, your record speaks for itself. Thanks. So.
It was always a pleasure seeing him in the hallway. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I doubt many of our listeners know that you guys, you know, are both at LaSalle at the same time. And if they do, they're real OGs and old friends. So we'll bring it home to our rapid fire homework section here. Um, Our guest is going to help assign some relevant homework for our listening audience. So, Paul, what homework would you like to leave our listeners who are coaches? Um, I think for coaches, I think that on the sideline, they have to relax, coach their team. Remember that when you get excited, your kids get excited. And I think sometimes that leads to negativity, meaning that their behavior on the field isn't what it should be, or they get too aggressive. So as far as speaking to officials, remember, tone it down. You don't have to scream. If you want to get the officials' attention, the only way that you're really going to get attention is by talking to them. Uh, if you're screaming over top of them, it's probably going in one ear and out the other. You know what I mean? So That's great. How about something for players? Players, respect the game. Respect what you do and respect the game. And play. You know, just play hard and let the let – you know, just play hard. How about for parents? Parents, and this doesn't go to all the parents, and I don't want to make it seem like I'm like anti-parent, but I would say to parents, understand the game, understand it, read the rule book, and like I said, reading the rule book doesn't mean that you know everything, but just remember, there's whoever's doing your game, they have no interest in who's winning the game, which a lot of parents think that that's the case. They really don't. All they want to do is officiate the game. Uh, put the rules into play and call a fair game. Sometimes that doesn't happen in your eyes, but you know it's part of the game. Just like when a coach mis- makes a mistake, a player ma- makes a mistake, an official can make a mistake also. But you have to move on and you know play the game out. We were long overdue to have a referee. We picked a good one. So thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you, and I appreciate the opportunity to talk. Thank you, Paul. As this episode comes to a close, we'd like to give a special thanks to this week's sponsors, the Play Fast Lacrosse Camps, presented by Next. Thanks again to our guest, Paul Kubak. Please keep up the good work uh, growing the game and uh, building the stable of referees in the Philadelphia area and beyond. And if I may say one more thing, I really appreciate Next and Three Step for what they've done. They've given me the opportunity to get those young guys field experience in the summertime to get as many games as possible. Uh, and they've helped They've helped in the growth. You know, there's a reason why we had 30 guys in our class here. You know what I mean? Most of them want to work during the summer. So, uh, you know, I thank them for that opportunity and, and you know, help yeah. the growth of the officiating. Yeah, right back at you. And I'm glad you said that. Um, that's part of the podcast, right? More than a club. So more than just teams, more than just tournaments. You know, we're truly trying to grow the sport and do it the right way. Um, so I think Paul was a great representation of that. So on behalf of the crew back here in the podcast studio at next with Justin, our producer, coach Henwood, who is in the bullpen tonight, coach Leahy, who dragged us back in. We're so happy to be back. We thank all of our listeners at the more than a club podcast. We're signing off from next in Conshohocken. Deende knows. I'll have to give a shout out to my, all my daughters, my wife, Barbara, yeah. Kelly, Christina, and Jamie.
podcast, but whatever. It always jumbles everybody up. Okay. And then we'll use that to like introduce and get nice and close to your microphone. You might you might do that. That bumper might run for Kevin Finner. Yeah. Yep. We ready? Yeah. Okay. This is Paul Kubach with. And you're listening to. Okay. There we go. Ready? This is Paul Kubach, and you're listening to More Than a Club, the podcast. Justin, not much.